Welcome back to Jokerman, uh, the regular feed where you don't have to pay for anything. It's just coming to you, just flowing right into your ear. Isn't that nice? For free. The gift of, of two idiots talking about music. And this this week we're actually joined by someone who is just... Uh, 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 Who's not, not an idiot, actually. <laughs> in fact, he's one of the leading not idiots uh, on the internet about Bob Dylan. He's a, a contributor to all kinds of notable uh, music blogs. There's um, one that is called um, pitch, Pitchfork.com. I'm, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with that one. <laughs> There's AquariumDrunkard.com. Uh, the the that that one's a cool one. That's cooler than the than Pitchfork. <laughs> and then Uncut. Yeah, Uncut magazine, the long-running British dad rock magazine. So we've got like <laughs> uh, British Bob fans have something to listen for here. We have American Bob fans, and we have <laughs> Bob fans who are you know thirteen and fourteen years old and online. <laughs> Every but we have all the demographics. We're covering all the quadrants. Yeah. And that's uh, uh, Tyler Wilcox is his name, by the yes. way. That's right, Mr. Tyler Wilcox. Welcome to Jokerman. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so yeah, so today we are continuing our uh, our our, re- our recent run of just kind of checking in with Bob throughout the ages uh, in in various instances of live show and concert, as he likes to phrase it himself. Um, you know, if, uh, for those of you who've been following me along, we've now done, we've gotten Bob in 64 on the bootleg series six, Bob in 66 on bootleg four, Bob in 69, Isle of Wight, uh, Bob in, uh, 75 on bootleg series five, Bob in 84, the, the immaculate slain, uh, the legendary uh, <laughs> slain concert, the legendary slain concert on the river Boyne. Um, and now we've got Bob, we've, we've got kind of the first instance of the never-ending never tour, which we haven't really even talked about on the pod quite so much yet, because we're just getting into this kind of era of Bob uh, in general. Um, but this is a a live show that Bob uh, played on uh, the, well, I guess I guess we wouldn't call it the Love and Theft tour, because he's on the never-ending tour, but in 2002, uh, it's billed as the, leg- <laughs> the quote-unquote legendary Kansas City performance on uh, that's on just YouTube. what somebody on YouTube called. There's it. some real hype men on on YouTube yeah. with this this kind of stuff. They they definitely go like I mean, there's a lot of a lot of Dylan stuff that's like best version ever of yes. you yeah. know this thing, and you're like like yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we we love those guys and those women. All that hype hyping up of this up and coming and. Uh, Pretty good uh, singer and songwriter. Yes. Columbia recording artist Bob Dylan, as he's as he's billed in the announcement on this show. I'd be lying also if I said that that hype didn't like get me to pick this specific one. <laughs> I mean, you got you got to go somewhere. Somebody is if somebody is super enthusiastic about it, you have to uh, you know you got to follow follow their lead. Well, yeah. I, I I followed their lead and then was you know looking at the set list and I couldn't. Couldn't say that this was like. Of course, we have to do this one. It's got like two Zevon covers, a Neil yeah. cover, and uh, what's the other thing? Oh, and Brown Sugar. Yeah, it's Cam's cover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What so a what a set list. That that's technically um, that is legendary, like objectively. Oh yeah. On some level. <laughs> 
Um, when we were emailing initially, Tyler, uh, you know, kind of trying to set this up, when, and I sent you the link to this show. You mentioned that this was like this era of of live Bob is like you're you're particularly familiar with it, and you like have traded CDRs and stuff of, of various recordings uh, from from this point in time. What's what's your general kind of take on this like this this version of the band, this version of the Neverending Tour? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it was like it it was a a little bit older than you guys i think but um it was a time when i was right out of college i graduated in 2001 um and suddenly there was like a lot of i mean it was just a lot of internet uh trading there was like a site called dylan tree that you could get onto and kind dylan of tree. is that like neopets it, it was, I mean, it was very early on where you could actually, because I mean, I feel like it was the first time I had a computer where you could burn CDs. So it was like somebody had a, you know, a CDR of a show and you signed up and then it just sort of like got proliferated all around the country. And it felt very fast at the time. It was like you could get shows where it was like a couple weeks in, you know, like that sort of things would just, it felt very fast compared to now. It's not very fast. You can hear things an hour after the show ends or whatever. <laughs> but right now, like, like in 2001, 2002, it was like, like, well, I could hear, you know, like what this tour sounds like almost immediately within a couple of weeks or something. So, I mean, I right. got heavily, heavily into that um, kind of scene and would, yeah, it was probably like post- post love and theft that kind of period where i kind of took a deep dive into the never ending tour zone where you could just get a whole bunch of different shows from all those different bands and everything um but it really was this um band for the most part the larry campbell charlie sexton um group that i felt like was like the best never-ending tour ensemble um and just sort of the one that really felt like its own thing there are other eras that i really like from the never-ending tour but this one just felt very um uh singular and um good i don't know it was it was it was an exciting an exciting kind of um yeah just like it felt like it, they had their own sound they had their own kind of kind of vibe and everybody was comfortable with with them each other was this group um largely the same actual players on love and theft yeah i think the only i think the 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 drummer here is george Rosselli, who is not on love and theft um uh but george Rosselli is the guy who i mean he had probably just joined at this point um but he was in the band until just last year or yeah, I mean, 2019, maybe. Right. Um, like the final tour that Dylan just did was the first one with a different drummer since yeah, 2002. So, I mean, it was like it, but this, but this band, I mean, the Campbell Sexton band in one form or another was together probably like uh, at least four or five years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got. Uh, I'll do a. I'll do a screen share here uh, in our chat, listeners. I'm sorry for you, but some incredible person has put together this. Uh, yeah, this, this is great timeline of every member of the Neverending Tour band. Uh, yeah. just go to the Wikipedia page for Neverending Tour um, and every instrument that was played. So yeah, so Larry Campbell and Charlie Sexton uh, together were here from okay. 
Yeah, about 2001 to yeah. 2000, what is that, 2003-ish? Three. Yeah. Listener, it's all color-coded, by the way. This is, It looks like a spreadsheet. like uh, <laughs> The long blue line of Tony Garnier. Yeah, wow. You just need him, you know, when, 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 you, got, when you got a bass player that good. That is amazing. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so, so listeners at home, take a, take a look at the never ending tour Wikipedia page for reference here. But yeah, so Larry Campbell and Charlie Sexton Cheers were together home. in this version very briefly, just a couple of years, it looks like. And yep. then Sexton was gone. Campbell continued for a couple more years. And then more recently, well, I guess over the last decade or so, yep. uh, Sexton has been back along with Stu Kimball yep. on the guitar. Um, so yeah, so a, a ton of different, uh, kind of permutations of the never ending tour band. Yeah. We're, that's we useful. Here on, we here on Jokerman podcast are big fans of Winston Watson. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Mid nineties drummer. Yeah. He um, was, he was a very, very exciting player. I saw, I saw that version of the band when I was a kid and he was a very, very dynamic player. Maybe not the most like subtle of of drummers but like it was clear that he could just sort of kick everybody's ass um, right and get, get the show going even bob's ass when you say you were a kid i mean it seems like you're really one of the best people we could ever talk to about bob dylan because how many people <laughs> can say that they um you know when i was a child and i noticed that Win- winston watson was in the, in the group um and I, I was really interested in him but then um when love and theft came out you know of course i was five years old uh, what was it about love and theft like when that came out uh, how old were you? You were just fi- finishing college. Uh, I would have been twenty-one. Something okay, like that. so like twenty-two. What, what was that like? Uh, did you find yourself kind of um, alone uh, when it came to like your your peers and their like trendy musical tastes? That you, you were enthralled with like this effortless <laughs> Americana inspired album that's kind of like has nothing. Yeah, to I don't do know. With- I mean, you know, it was. I mean, I, I think I've always. I guess maybe I've always had tastes that are like lean towards the older stuff but i it's not necessarily like like that was the only the only thing i was listening i mean i was i was talking with a friend of mine about when uh, when that album came out and i remember remember i i just remember that the two albums that we were listening to the most probably that during that period in fact i may have even bought them on the same day was um uh the Bjork album that came out in 2001. What is it called? Mm. Um, Vespertine. Yeah. And so that and Love and Theft, which are very different records. But <laughs> a little bit, are, yeah. That's quite eclectic. Um, but they, but you know, they sort of, I, I actually, I sort of associate those records in my mind. By and love, I breathe a lover's sigh. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I was, I was always, I mean, I was definitely, I mean, I, I had an older brother who was pretty heavily into Bob Dylan. So I saw, saw him fairly early on in my concert going experience, but it was always, yeah. I mean, I was always just sort of taken with Bob Dylan, but it is really this period where I feel like I kind of fell off the deep end into the live um, experience and and, yeah, being able to pick out, you know, different eras of the uh, never ending tour, which is the, you know, that's when you know you're, you're in deep. Yeah. You're on the hard shit at that point. That's really, it's very impressive to me that like, like, you know, the, you even had the, 
like energy or the the wherewithal to, to get that far into it in 2001 because like now it's easy to go to YouTube and just like I was doing earlier today I wanted to find a live version of uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum which yeah. is not on this set list um, but he did play a couple other times in 2002 and so I just typed you know Bob Dylan live 2002 <laughs> and there's just like a hundred yeah. fucking bootleg shows and they all sound pretty great yeah uh, and and you can just listen to them for hours on YouTube but like that. It, 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 you really had yeah. to work for it back then. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm even, you know, I mean, the thing, the thing about that period of um, the, the CDR trading, it was really exciting because I had lived, you know, like several years of being kind of into Bob Dylan, but you'd go to record stores back then, you know, more kind of like these slightly underground record stores and look at you know like you'd flip through cd bootlegs of bob dylan and those things i mean back in those days you know like i mean i remember paying you know 35 dollars for a single disc (laughs) or something um where you and there would be like you know like four disc dylan sets where you'd be like like well i'm never gonna hear that that's never gonna like that's just an impossible thing it costs right 150 bucks to get you know, these, these things, there's no way my mom is going to buy that. (laughs) (laughs) Just the concept of paying even a single dollar for a CD in 2020. (laughs) I I like buying CDs. Uh, I do too, but I mean, I haven't had a car with a, with a CD uh, drive in it for a long time, but that to me is, is very nice. It's a, it's a luxury, honestly, to have a CD drive in, in your car. It's nice. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean you've got you got to get all these these fucking Bob Dylan CD box sets. Um, so you know where are you going to listen to them? I mean, I yeah. I have Tempest on CD in my room here, and Tempest, I have no way to play Tempest it, but I bought it. CD. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I guess we should just get uh, rolling into into some of this music because yeah. Yeah. there's a lot of ground to cover. Take it a track at a time and see uh, see where the winds take us here. Uh, I've got our uh, if you'll if you'll excuse us for just a moment here, Tyler. This is it's a Jokerman uh, uh, trademark here. Um, the we we have the classic uh, Honer uh, Marine Band harmonica, the very kind that Bob uses himself to uh, to to mark our intro into the discussion of the music itself. So it's on loan from him. Yeah, it's it's from the Bob Dylan archives. You know, opening in Tulsa. We mail uh, it back and forth, but you know, whenever we have an episode. You are freshly pretty still traumatized from the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, but that's not going to dim your spirits on this beautiful night where you are going with maybe your sweetheart to see Bob Dylan live in show and concert at, at the Uptown Theater in Kansas City, Missouri. That's right. Before we even get into track one, I wanted to talk about the intro to... Um, yeah. That Bob Dylan receives, which like I've I don't know about you guys, but it kind of like blew me away because I've heard I, I I'm ashamed to say I don't know the name of the man who does the intro, which you yeah, hear it's him his on tour so manager. Many. I don't know his name either. Yeah, but, but. usually he says uh, Columbia recording artist Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Yeah. But this time, and I've heard this on a couple other shows from around the period, um, the, just recently. Like I didn't know that this ever happened, but. He does this lengthy, like, whole career spanning and, like, not particularly flattering introduction no. <laughs> where he says, like, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the color player of the rock and roll, the voice of the promise of the 60s counterculture, 
the guy who first folk into bed with Rob, who got makeup in the 70s and disappeared into a haze of substance abuse, who emerged to find Jesus, who was written off as a has-been by the end of the 80s, and who suddenly shifted gears, releasing some of the strongest music of his career, beginning in the late 90s. Ladies and gentlemen, Columbia recording artist, Bob Dylan. Disappeared into a haze of substance abuse or something. Yeah. yeah. And like then found Jesus, found, found Jesus and emerged. Jesus. Written off by the Reborn. public at large, only to reemerge in the 1990s to release some of his strongest material yet. And yeah. then he goes for it. But like, it's weird. Yeah, I, I, I believe, and I, it's something that probably should be fact checked, but I believe that it's that, that intro was stolen from like maybe an article around that time. That so, I mean, I think it is. It's definitely some tongue-in-cheek stuff going right. on. I mean, he. I think that Dylan... Dylan must have was, found it funny on some Yeah, level. he must have found it fairly humorous. But at the same time, like, they did it for a while. I'm not sure exactly how long it lasted, but, I mean, at least a few years. I mean, the, the remarkable thing about it is, like, we now kind of all just have this idea in our head about how the narrative of Dylan's career goes. But perhaps him just like being on the tour and kind of literally plugging that narrative again and again every night, town to town, <laughs> is partly responsible for yeah. our received wisdom about like, well, yeah, this happened. And then uh, he was sort of everybody loved him. He was a great hero of, of poetry. And then he uh, sort of fell off and then he found Jesus. And then and now he's releasing some of his best material yet. <laughs> <laughs> They literally nice. just went from city to city <laughs> saying this. <laughs> yeah, yeah it is a weird. Yeah, I mean, even even that short intro was always sort of strange. Like Columbia recording artist, you were well, kind of like, we, like, we what, like what, like what does he care about that? <laughs> but it is like, I mean, it must have something to do with sort of like his idea of himself as like a traveling entertainer. You know, like it's something exactly. that like Hank Williams would be like presented by you know mother's biscuits or something you know like that's <laughs> it does have a prairie home companion type energy yeah yeah, yeah that's the that's the live bob experience it's in show and concert it's listed yeah. on all the all the posters it's, it's not concert. just a concert how's your family try too. them powder milk biscuits, powder milk biscuits. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's a yeah it's a confusing thing but i mean yeah and he and, he, and what is he, he has like aaron copeland playing behind it too yeah, like some yeah. sort of the, the classical music. So, I mean, it's it's definitely, I don't know, it's trying to it's, set some it's sort of... kitschy, for sure. Yeah, like theatrical tone. And it works. Yeah, for sure. Gets. I would be so amped if I was there. Yeah. And the crowd clearly is. Everyone is hooting and hollering. They're having a great time. Despite well, it the seems recent, like a good place to tragic. see him. I mean, it's like an old theater. It's probably not very big. I didn't look up how big this place is but it doesn't sound like it's a large place you know like right, maybe, right maybe like a couple thousand people um so i mean it would be an exciting thing um i mean the last time i saw dylan was in a place that was probably like four thousand but you got pretty close so it just was like you know you were like excited to be in be in the man's presence he has yeah, charisma be, be in the same room as the guy when <laughs> when when was the last time you saw him I saw him on the last tour, uh, twenty nine, the end of twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, um, I saw him on that too. It was great. I mean, it was, yeah. it was maybe. I mean, I don't know if it was the best show I'd seen by him, but maybe the best show I'd seen by him in over a decade. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a, an amazing 
an amazing sort of set overall and just performance in general. He sounded great. Yeah. I wish I had here's hoping, to see that. Yeah. Here's hoping he's back out on the road before too long. He's I know, man. New, he, I mean, he's got a whole maybe. new record to play. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. <laughs> well, not a record. I mean, uh, it's interesting on this set list that there is not actually even that much of love and theft. I mean, he doesn't yeah. even, doesn't even get to it for a while. Yeah, he kind of holds it until the end, and there's, there's like a little mini love and theft yeah. suite as he brings it in for a close. But the beginning is sort of yeah. an eclectic mix, you know, like we talked about before, and we will talk about, you know, momentarily a bunch of covers, um, yeah. and then uh, and then a lot of a lot of the kind of country western flavored stuff um, yeah. through the first half of it, which I guess maybe would be a direct segue into the first song to be alone with you. Yeah, this is yeah. this is Catnip the Nashville to, Skyline uh, Rape. To Ian, of course, who loves Nashville Skyline so so much, and yeah, uh, my one of my very favorites. Who who couldn't? You know, it's great. It's a perfect little record. It's it's less than thirty. You you can't you can't dislike a record that's less than thirty minutes long. It's ten yeah. songs, five five on each side. That's that's all you need. And it, but it's less than. Uh, it's just so perfect. I, I fucking love that record. Keeps it going. Enough. Yeah. Well, it, it's also you could say that it's basically. Uh, Self-portrait, but like with an editor <laughs> present. Uh, yeah, Somebody's sort of. being like, Bob, you you know you could do like a cute little record out of this. And he's like, no, get the fuck out of <laughs> the here. Song, the songs all sound good, too. Uh, it's it's not uh, like half a bootleg record like Self-Portrait. Well, but we love Self-Portrait, but I digress. Yeah. It's a great opener. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, it's groovy. I mean, it's definitely a good, you know, just kind of to be alone with you that's he's gonna he's gonna be you know it's like tonight i'm gonna i'm staying here with you too it's a good yeah. good hello to the audience hey he's kind of setting the template for what's going on here tonight yeah. uh, and it does and sort of suggest like that it's gonna be a fun show i don't know yeah. i mean i guess that's generally his openers are gonna be like like this is like not gonna be just like a serious he rarely opens with like intense songs he's not opening with hard hard rain or something right yeah gates of eden yeah starting with who killed davy moore (laughs) (laughs) like sit back and relax everybody he said just we're all responsible for this man (laughs) in some way yeah the band the band sounds like this is also a perfect song i think to start because the band sounds so well suited for playing this kind of music at this point in time like this is this I, i guess i don't I certainly don't have the the depth and breadth of never ending knowledge that uh, that you do. It sounds like Tyler, but um, like this this particular flavor of the band definitely seems like he was he was really kind of leaning into the country western kind of thing. He's got the cowboy hat on a lot of the time. Uh, he's starting to get the you know kind of the western wear. Obviously, a year after this, we're gonna, <laughs> we're going to have Jack Fate and uh, oh, yeah. and uh, Master Anonymous, our our very favorite motion picture here. Um, I didn't even but, yeah, think about I mean, that. I think they were probably he's, filming this like pretty close around this time. Yeah, it must be happening it. relatively contemporaneously. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure. It actually maybe maybe it was some overlap before or after this, right before. I mean, it's definitely the same band. So yeah, exactly. Right, the band that you see playing. Yeah, in the, in that great film, same guys. The, the, yeah, the the band Simple Twist of Fate, uh, right. according to the lore of Mastodon Anonymous. Good name. Yeah, I mean, this was a big. I mean, I, I do. I, I specifically remember like the this tour in particular was the first one where he was um, playing piano primarily. Uh, right. You know, I mean, he played piano on stage before, but this was like 
I mean, I, I remember it being a very, you know, super surprising for everybody and no one really quite knew what was going on with him just being like, he's now like a piano player. There was some talk that like he had back problems or something and was not, didn't want to, didn't want to hold a guitar all night, but it seems like maybe it was more like he had these two guitar players and he was like, I should be able to do something else and fit in a little differently or something. Um, right. He's definitely an interesting piano stylist. I mean, he's not oh, yeah. too loud on this, this mix, but he's in there and he's, doing some funny things he always does some funny thing when he's playing piano like he, yeah. he he'll do to some there, there's a, a few videos where you can really see him like he's very eccentric behind yeah the, he's got an keys. odd idea about you know like he he has a style for sure it's like yeah dracula-esque or something it's like, <laughs> kind yeah. of like i should say the phantom of the opera rather than yeah. <laughs> On on that note, uh, just a, a, a quick quote from uh, 2004, I guess, uh, some reporter who interviewed Bob uh, claimed uh, the, the reason he kind of retired the guitar and moved to the piano at this time uh, is it has uh, – basically it has nothing to do with his guitar not giving him quite the fullness of the sound he was wanting at the bottom. He's thought of hiring a keyboard player so he doesn't have to do it himself, but he hasn't been able to figure out who – most keyboard players, he says, like to be soloists, and he wants what he calls a very basic sound. Right. Yeah. So, just kind so that's of, what he gets. <laughs> just kind of pounding along there. Yeah. I mean, it is it is kind of interesting because he really had avoided keyboards throughout the never-ending tour. Like he'd never, you know, I mean, he obviously, I mean, like keyboards were a huge part of his sound from the very first, like when he when he first went electric or whatever, sure. you know, that's like signature stuff is that organ. Yeah, the organ is always there. Yeah, that spooky, um, trilly But he organ. never, once, once the never-ending tour started, other than maybe just having like people guesting randomly or something, he never hired a keyboard player. So there's something about it that must have been like, I don't want that to be the dominating sound or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it was like, I mean, people were kind of, I mean, yeah, as as we'll get into, it's like, this particular tour was kind of filled with surprises. So like nobody knew that he was like that. I think the first opening show or something, he came out and he was playing piano and playing all these random songs, these covers and everything. And it was one of the more kind of like, you know, you know, I mean, the never ending tour had very unexpected surprising moments, but I feel like this was one of the more like things where people were like, what the hell is going on? What is he going to do? <laughs> people pretty much knew what they were going to get from a never ending tour show, but him jumping onto keyboards, him playing Rolling Stones songs was not something that they had, uh, you know, planned for. Not on, not on the bingo card. Not on the bingo card at all. When it comes to those kinds of little surprises, it, it can be something uh, really dramatic like that, like playing uh, Brown Sugar or like two Born Zevon covers. We'll get a new, but uh, yeah. it can also just be like a nice little surprise, like, in the summertime being the second song it's like yeah um, man a total i mean that's like deep that's cut. a that's an amazing i mean I, I i do feel like this this set is kind of you know like i don't think anybody could you know like like it's got plenty of plenty of hits but then it also has these deep cuts that you know a dylan head would just be like whoa he's 
why like i can't believe it's playing in the summertime in the summer i don't think he yeah. played that song no I'm, I'm actually not sure if it had shown up on the never-ending tour before that i don't know if he'd played it since 1980 well what's funny is um, we, we, when we were talking about uh mask and anonymous uh, and it i wonder if like maybe we should look up later like what the if there was any overlap in the production and the, the yeah. tour because in that film there is a lot of um there's a lot of these easter egg type sound like music moments that really feel like they have the same energy as like him pulling out in the summertime in this show so i wonder if he was kind of with that band at that moment um just really particularly comfortable with like trying out old material in a new way or like just being like fuck it let's do some more covers like, like they do dixie on um the oh, soundtrack yeah, right. <laughs> uh of yeah. mass anonymous and it it has a, a not an uh, it's kind of similar to this rendition of in the summertime or it reminds yeah. me of that a little really brings out the the greatness of this song i think here yeah it, it makes a lot of sense seated where it is next to to be alone with you i think i think it really totally fits in with like the John Wesley uh, and Nashville Skyline kind of energy, um, yeah. even though like obviously the the original cut of it doesn't sound anything like those records do, and Bob is in a very different place in his career. But when you when you kind of give all of those songs this new sheen, all kind of um, interpreted through this version of the band, they all they all kind of mesh together somehow. Yeah. Um, and to to the note that you were just talking about a moment ago, uh, ago there, Tyler. Yeah, he played it. A bunch in uh, summer '81, you know, kind of yeah, when Shot of Love came out, uh, and then he played it uh, from October 25th, 2002, to November 15th, 2002. I and never ten, again, right? Ten times and never again. Exactly. <laughs> Twenty twenty six times. Yeah. A couple times in '81. Couple couple times in 2002, and it's it's been in the dustbin it's since gone. then. It's a great song. I actually think it's you know like a song that is is well worth discovering. It's I mean it is actually. It's it's probably one of those songs that on Shot of Love might pass you by as not being particularly exciting, but some of those live versions from <laughs> 81 are, you know, kind of stunning. It comes pretty um, late really... on in the record, Shot of Love, as I recall. Yeah. As and by that too, time, it's... maybe you're you're kind of just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I feel like it really it really works as one of his more like like genuinely positive songs. Like there's not, not anything in it. That's like sort of double edged or anything. It's, it's like, it feels very, very joyful. Um, which, you know, I mean, is, is a kind of rare commodity in Bob Dylan. Well, it it is (laughs) also certainly in the 1981 time. era. You've got that in the summertime when you were with me, it's, it's, yeah, it's very warm and listening to it and talking about it now, it does occur to me maybe that like, it's one of those moments where if that song had appeared on love and theft, like, I don't think any of us would have batted batted an eye. Like, is it that different from like Mississippi or like poor boy or something? Or yeah, summer, summer days. days, you get a summer song yeah. on there anyway. Yeah, but I mean, I do. Yeah, I mean, but I think that does speak to just like how good this band is that they have a real like identity, which maybe is sort of what previous um, never ending tour bands have lacked a little bit. They don't right. quite have as distinctive a thing going on. Um, and a lot of that is just having those two guitar players who are, um, you know, like 
I, I mean, both of those guys, I think, are have kind of encyclopedic knowledge of American roots music in a way mm-hmm. that maybe other people in the in his bands previously did not. And these guys are just like, you know, they're virtuosos. Yeah. Um, so they can they can make anything kind of fit into that American roots music zone. Yeah. Um, so it works. Yeah. It works well. But yeah, I think that, I mean it's a great version. I think that's like a beautiful, beautiful There's version a, of it. A mandolin solo, right? Or is 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 Larry Campbell playing mandolin? I think. Oh that, yeah, it does yeah. say yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, Larry yeah. On mandolin. Which is really, yeah. it's really beautiful when that kicks yeah. in. start and then uh to a rousing start we go into uh tombstone blues which i mean uh is a it's a a good version of tombstone blues like which is i I mean i feel like tombstone blues i don't know about you but like for me sometimes when it's not particularly good it's kind of like a slog at like because he yeah totally i would actually yeah i mean i'd say that this like this version is one of the better like arrangements for it i feel like live I don't know when he started playing it. Cause I mean, he, he must've played it a little bit in the sixties, but I don't think it was like a main stay of the set, but I don't right. think, did, does he play it in like, does he play it? It's at Slane. I think he played it on uh <laughs> on real live. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely in 84, Which, but it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a song that kind of like it, it's so maybe it's like, so repetitive in a yeah, way sort of like wh- a pounding repetitive when it's got thing. that cock rock energy to it it just feels yeah. like it's just kind of yeah. i mean a, a lot of a lot of what it succeeds on on the record is really just kind of like the buzzsaw kind of sound and like almost punk rock energy like yeah. second song on the record coming right after rolling stone and like this is the first fully electric record like it, it really just sounds like a punk rock song basically and it's like eight minutes long or whatever it like, feels you know, like the one, original but and the lyrics are so good you know i mean they're so funny on on highway 61 and yeah if you're if you're just kind of like bleeding them out in a like hard rock thing it is just sort of like okay, we get it, <laughs> but this is yeah. good. <laughs> what this one does well, I think, is that it has a certain sassiness that it really leans into. Yeah, he's playing it up, he's hamming it up a bit. Like you can hear him kind of playing with yeah. the words, and it's a song that really only works when Dylan is like engaged with the words because there's yeah. there's so many punchlines. Yeah, if he can if he can nail the the phrasing um, of it, it might you know it might also be. I mean, I do think that George, George Rosselli is a good, you know, I mean, he's like definitely like a very hard hitting drummer, but he's not just a hard hitting drummer. I think that he does kind of handle the, he can, he can do dynamic shifts in a really kind of, kind of good way that maybe mm-hmm. some of the drummers before him were not doing. Um, I think David Kemper, who who preceded him was really good. Um, but maybe not quite as like, not quite as dynamic. Um, Roselli's like, I mean, he's, he's a pretty exciting drummer. Sometimes he's really like, like, you know, drives the band into, um, into kind of crescendos and everything. So he's, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I actually, you know, like, I think, I feel like it's, Tombstone Blues is definitely the kind of song that you see on a set list and you're like, well, that's like kind of something to get through. Yeah. Um, right. This, this version is good. Yeah. It actually yeah. keeps the momentum going and it doesn't overstay its welcome either. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not a ballad of a thin man. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know if you, if you feel that way, Tyler, but we, we tend to have, it's like one consensus Joker men take is that like most of the time throughout like the whole middle part of Dylan's career, Ballad of the Man is like, uh, it's not so great. Yeah. Like, like live, it, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. Live, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a weird, I mean, I feel like it is one of his like totem songs that, you know, kind of means something to people. So it's sort of like, he has to, Deliver, has to it, it deliver it in a certain way i don't yeah i don't think ballad of thin man has really been particularly good in the never-ending tour era um probably because i mean actually well what's funny is i mean i don't even you know like obviously with bob dylan playing piano during this period almost, you'd almost think that he'd break that out mm-hmm. because that's like kind of one of his big pianos you know like the 1966 tour is him going over to piano going over the piano and playing it and everything um but he doesn't and then i mean when he has done it in recent years even when he has been playing piano i think that i mean at least the the time i saw him do it a few years ago he left the piano and went center stage and just sang it from where he was he didn't Mm, even interesting so it is weird because it is like a song that is like probably one of the key Bob Dylan piano songs. I'm pretty right. sure that's him playing it, playing piano on, on the record Highway 61. And then yeah, those tours and everything, he would do that, but he doesn't seem to think of it as a song that he, I don't know. I don't think that he wants to, like we said, like his piano playing is sort of odd. So it's like, he doesn't want to be like the guy who's holding everything together with the piano. <laughs> right. Well, uh, well, as far as Bob on the piano doing odd things, we have uh, a great example of Bob on the piano doing an odd thing, which is just like breaking out a, a Zevon song and playing accidentally like a martyr on the piano. <laughs> like, if yeah. I was that, I lost my shit. I would have screamed. Yeah, I mean, it's it was. I mean, it was a big. I, I feel like it was a big deal. It was like. Um, at the time him because i mean he did you know i mean he does two during this show but he was playing at least four songs four zevon songs you know in rotation um around this time what else was, was he playing he was playing um lawyers guns and money what um, oh god are you kidding me and really? boom boom mancini too no way oh god i think that these two i think accidentally like a martyr and mutineer were the two that he did the most but i right. believe he did both of those at some point point. and he did boom boom mancini because we were just talking <laughs> about bob dylan's like subgenre of his of of boxer ballads of like boxing songs yeah you got uh hurricane you got uh who killed davy moore and then you throw in uh Boom Boom Mancini and uh, his his cover of the boxer from the self portrait. But yeah, I mean, him doing these Zevon songs. I mean, I do remember at the time it being because I mean, Zevon had just 
announced that he was terminal at that point. Well, that was that was what I was wondering is yeah. it had th- this was that this was right around that time. Yeah, I mean, I mean he it was, was on within... Letterman a bunch and stuff. And of course, there's the famous uh, interaction on Letterman where like Letterman asks like, "Well, what do you think about him or something?" And he was like, "Well." He invented my job, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is one of the best uh, things a, a musician yeah. has said about Bob Dylan. Like, I mean, around this time, I mean, it was the same time that um, George Harrison died, too, I believe. Right. And he did something once, you know, but it was after Harrison died, you know, it was like, but this is like a real, I mean, it's a good, if you can, if you can pay tribute to somebody, it's like, I mean, you know, it gets... Warren Zevon gets to be Tom Sawyer at his own funeral and everything, you know, it's like, he gets yeah. to like, I mean, it was also, I mean, that's it, like, I mean, it's like the ultimate, you know, for somebody like Warren Zevon, it has to be like, that had to be the most, <laughs> the biggest right. thing that anybody could do for him. You know? On, uh, on the wind, that album, he actually covers knocking on heaven's door, which is, I mean, to record that, like, while you're, like, yeah. about to die. Like, a little bit on the nose. It, it is an, on the nose. And also, I mean, I, I think it's been, it's, I'm not the first to say it, but his announcement of, of having terminal cancer and making these albums, I mean, it was like a genius marketing tactic. Yeah, I mean, you get well. to, you get to have your victory lap. You get to have everybody, like, you know. And be rehabilitated having, the, I mean, it's a whole other story, but, like, being uh, as turbulent a person as Zevon was like, he really (laughs) got to like make a smooth, soft landing for himself. Um, but of course the song, uh, accidentally like martyrs from like the prime time of Zevon's songwriting career. And it's a, it's just like, I would have been so thrilled. Like I'm sure all of us like just to be in the crowd at this show and go, is that no. And then have the, (laughs) and it's not like, the best of the uh it's maybe the second best of of dylan's performance of a zevon cover in this uh in this show mm. but um it's yeah. still just such a, a treat to to yeah. know that he even thought to do that and it's interesting i mean it is interesting to hear dylan try to you know i mean he it, over the over the years you know i mean he can coast on certain songs where he's just like i mean later on in the show it's like he can sing the times they are changing and he could totally blow it and everybody would be like good job you did it Uh, (laughs) and with with something like this where it is like like he actually does want to you know he has to get the song across he has to connect with it so you can tell that he's like you know he's pretty focused on it definitely Uh, so it's it's like it's yeah, it's just an interesting thing to hear. And just yeah. that he yeah, he puts it so early in the set. It's not even like an encore, it's like part of the main set. So it's like clearly he wants to, you know, make a point with it. Drawing attention towards it. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's a pretty faithful kind of interpretation of the original song. Also, yeah. much the band is much more faithful to Zebon's material than it is to Bob's own material. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like he, he wants to play this song. He doesn't want to play yeah, he doesn't want to reinvent it or anything. Right, exactly. He doesn't want to do the thing where, like, you have to wait, uh, you know, two and a half minutes into the song to figure out what song you're even hearing. Yeah. No, th- yeah. And that's that's instructive in some way about Dylan's attitude towards his own material versus other artists. Like, I think it seems clear that when he likes somebody else's song, he likes it for what it is and, and doesn't yeah. – 
it's not just that he wants all music to be kind of this like liquid that he can just splash yeah. around. He wants That's his just music for his own that. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next track, I mean, just like this track list is, or set list is so, so nice. Like it's so much just, fun. Just going from, from accidentally like a martyr into I'll be your baby tonight. Like, yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good version. I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, I feel like it's sort of, uh, having Larry Campbell who, you know, super multi-instrumentalist. I mean, yeah, he's already played mandolin. Now he's playing pedal steel. He's, you know, he's clearly, you know, some sort of, some sort of genius. So yeah, I mean, it's a really nice, like, like country, country weeper version. Um, pretty faithful, really. I mean, it yep. has, has that just sort of country swing thing going on. It's good. Yeah. This is exactly like if, if he had really ever toured, uh, well, I know this isn't a Nashville song, but if he had toured in that era, yeah. um, this is exactly what I would have wanted the band to sound like. Basically. It's just like, yeah. a, like, like immaculate hot ass, just like country band that is just perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's a uh, it, Bob. I think Bob's pretty into it in, in this one. I I still have kind of a slight uh, preference for like the Supper Club version of uh, "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight." I think, which is just like one of my favorite, you know, kind of tracks ever, really. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, just like cranking this out night after night. I like this is you, you can't ask for anything else from from a track like this. It's a very yeah. warm opening. Uh, salvo here from this and tonight I'll be staying here with you and the Zevon cover. At this point, it's like barely even an opening salvo. He's just like, uh, we're we're just going to be nice tonight. We're yeah. just like the whole first <laughs> quarter be, of the show. It's going to be fun, just, everybody. Yeah, everyone's having a good. He's trying to, you know, it's 2002. America needs to heal. Uh, he's, right. He's, he's doing what he can. Um. Despite the recent tragedy at the time, he's going to uh, cover Brown Sugar by Mick Jagger <laughs> and Keith Richards. Yeah, I mean, that really is, I mean, it's it's a surprise. I mean, the Zevon thing, you could be like, well, that's, you know, he's doing that because Zevon is, is terminal. It's, you know, he's paying tribute to a great songwriter. The Brown Sugar is uh, mysterious as to what his... Like, I mean, I don't think there's any reason for it other than maybe they started playing it in a rehearsal and they were like, that was fun. And then suddenly Dylan was like, it's on the set list. And they were like, (laughs) are we really doing this? (laughs) And they did it most. I mean, I feel like they did it most nights uh, during this tour. I mean, they did a lot, right? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the set list FM like uh, statistics for 2002. This is the 13, 13th. Most played song during the year. He played it thirty six times. It's the it's the most frequently played cover on the entire really, tour. He really enjoyed playing. Bob Dylan has played uh, Brown Sugar thirty six times, and he's played uh, what was the one that we were like surprised? Like about? John Wesley Harding. He's never played. Oh yeah, he's never once. played oh, John yeah. Wesley Harding live. Um, and he's never played John Wesley Harding. And he's yeah, I mean like some of those some of those. What is the other one he played? As I went out one morning from John Wesley Harding once. Right. Yep one total time um there's a lot of stuff that yeah yeah you i mean obviously there's a lot of stuff you'd be like like that would be somebody's you know like showcase song every night if if someone else had written it and he's like yeah, if you didn't if you didn't have a hundred other songs that were like, as good as all that the song of the material i'm playing playing clean cut kid tonight let's do it clean cuts. <laughs> 
Um, well, I guess back on track here. Uh, brown sugar. Oh, right. We're just talking about Bob sugar. Dylan playing. <laughs> All brown I had sugar. in my notes for that was lol. <laughs> That's fair. It is pretty funny. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's not it's not. I don't expect Bob to cover the Stones at all. And if Bob is going to cover the Stones, it's not the Stones song I expect Bob's going to cover. But you know, yeah. here here we are. Yeah, you know, I I like to think that the the next song is a continuation of the same sort of romantic storyline. <laughs> you know, like a, the, yeah. the first song, Brown Sugar, is you know the fiery romance, and then. Girl from the North Country is sort of like years down the line. He's remembering that sweet brown sugar. It is. Yeah, it is a segue, isn't it? That's, yeah, Yeah. it's a pretty, I guess that's the end of his, of the first electric set. If you were going to brown sugar is the, the peak of that. Um, Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it is, yeah, it's a weird brown sugar is a weird choice, but it is, I mean, I guess he's just never done songs like that uh in an actual concert setting there are you know like there'll be like random rehearsals from i don't know like 1989 where he does random classic rock songs but like barely rehearsed and sort of like badly done right um but this is this is clearly rehearsed and quite quite faithful yeah and pretty pretty good like the it, it's got kind of like the dueling guitars thing that that you get in the stones mm-hmm. as well like yeah. it's it's it sounds pretty robust and like kinda, and the backup kind of kick yeah ass. i guess we haven't really talked about i mean with accidentally like a martyr there's mm-hmm. yeah. you know those pretty pretty serious backup vocals from campbell and sexton which is also a thing that was rare in the never-ending tour up until this point you didn't really let people sing with him um for you know, very long, but they are both, they both have a nice blend. Yeah. There's a couple instances uh, throughout the show where you've got uh, some really effective backup vocals, yeah. uh, I think coming through that really like, he's so like, like that's, it must be so nice to be Bob Dylan, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but to have um, a band and players that you can just like, you, you just, it, it, you could completely trust it never even factors into your mind. Like they're just always going to be a hundred percent on top of it. Like a hundred percent of the time, they're just like immaculate, like just technically perfect kind of, uh, um, band members all down the line. And you just know that you can do whatever the hell you want, you know, as Bob up, up there up front, you're, you're going to be playing against a, just absolutely stone cold, perfect kind of tableau. Yeah, and you, you. you can like wait to finish the verse like until the last like half millisecond. You <laughs> yeah, just go like start and then wait. Yeah. Have like the pause to save it from the honeymoon or whatever <laughs> he does uh, on "Girl from the North Country." Which is, this is a really good version of of this. It is really good, and I guess yeah, I guess this is the first time he picks up a guitar. Like he's playing acoustic on this. I think so. I don't think he's playing piano, um, but he actually plays a pretty good. I'm I'm fairly certain it's it's him playing some of like one of the leads there, and he's playing like a pretty nice lead, which is not always the case when it comes to Bob Dylan playing guitar in this period. It's actually one of the it was one of the sort of dangers of um, doing what uh, at the time where it was like I was listening to you know, like a dozen shows from a solitary tour and you would just get to a point where you were like, God damn, I cannot listen to him play that like <laughs> little riff that he plays 
over and over on Tangled Up in Blue. Like he literally will play the same two notes throughout the song, just sort of noodling on them. Um, but here it's like he he kind of fits into the band. And some of it is the mix too. I think that this is just like a great audience recording. Um, yeah. And it just sounds, you know, very blended in. Um, but he manages to knock off a pretty good, pretty good solo there. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a nice, nice version. This song is always kind of good though. I don't know. Yeah. There's, yeah this is one that I don't think that there is a one where it's a slog. It's always like, kind of just like, ah, he always yeah, takes good. it, always takes it seriously. He's always pretty, pretty into it. Are you Tyler? Are you, I've asked this question to uh, some of our guests before. Are you a free wheeling North country or are you a Nashville skyline North country guy? I mean, I like them both, but I probably go to freewheeling as the definitive. No, um, but I mean, I do, I do really like the um, the version from Nashville Skyline with Johnny Cash. Yep, it is um, very nice. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of if there's like a version other than those two that I kind of am like. Like those are, I don't know. There are a that, lot of good never ending tour versions of this song. I mean, it was great. That, it was great in 2019. I mean, it was pretty fucking amazing actually. Yeah. Um, that, that version you, uh, uh, on your blog recently you posted, uh, uh, there was a version from like the rundown. Studio, oh yeah. It was like, like a 1978. That was, was like, beautiful. I'd never heard that before. It's fucking incredible. That street Maybe legal the, era version. Yeah. I mean, it has yeah, a sax the, it, solo in it, but it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. I yeah. love to, I've, I'm not really familiar with it, but does it go to keep it from the howling wind? And then the sax goes <laughs> to represent the wind. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, kind of comes in with like a little sweet, <laughs> soprano sax sound or something whatever it is but it's like it is just one of those things where you're like like well this song is clearly extremely sturdy like it can withstand pretty much anything you could do and i think that's like you know bob i mean he's been playing it for what 60 years now or something so it's like it's like he clearly knows that you can do anything to it and it'll still be yeah, it's like the yeah. trunk of a giant tree. This song, it's and yeah, it's so yeah, it works. so elemental, so essential, like yeah. to the point where yeah, there, there's how can it be bad? It's like saying yeah. pizza is bad. It, it's it's always going to be yeah. pretty good. Yeah, what, it's great. What and, comes? I next mean, the next song, it's all right. Ma is a great version. Oh as yeah, well. it's yeah. Pretty... Well, it's all right. Ma is not a track I would ever say that about. That it that it's always good <laughs> and that it always it can withstand any treatment because I don't think that's so. Like it's so um, it's kind of spindly. It's kind of precipitous. The way that it it has to a be lot nailed. Of words. Yeah, it's so many words. Certainly. But this version is a pretty unique take on it that actually has like a bit more of a sultry, uh, bluesy angle. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, it sounds like it's on Love and Theft almost, you know, I mean, it's just like, exactly. that, like straight, uh, like... A real swing like to it. it had, I mean, it is, yeah, it's a pretty successful version that doesn't sort of... Because, you know, I mean, he turned it into like, he's turned it into like a more hard rock song. He's done various things with it. But um, this one, I feel like, blends all that stuff together pretty well because it's not not like a full-on like i'm gonna bash you over the head with this but it's not just like a solo acoustic number either yeah that's a that's a good point actually i i like it does kind of 
fit in next to something like High Water for Charlie Patton or something with this yeah, band playing. It's got the same kind of energy behind it. I the um we are uh, or at least I, I I think you are too Evan, but uh the Budokan live record is an absolute like all-time favorite uh here and well, but this is one more, of the songs it's on your Budokan. all-time favorite. I I but yeah. I I totally respect it. Like I think you appreciate it. I very it, much Evan. appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, 100%. But that the version of It's All Right Ma on Budokan is one of the few kind of lowlights for me on that record. Um yeah, it doesn't come across quite as well. Oh, you mean it does that, come across, yeah. I mean, I feel like there are versions in 78 that do work really well, but yeah. Budokan just doesn't feel very, like, I don't know. I mean, it's got the problems that that record just has in general that just feels... I, feel, I mean, I'd say that... Tread lightly here. You're, you're dealing with a maniac. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a Budokan fan. I mean, as, as a child, I'll, I'll bring in the... I had the poster that came no. from Budokan on, <laughs> Hell my, yeah. on my really? closet. Door. How old? In the all white? I mean, this is when I was in high school. Yeah, that big okay. white jumpsuit oh, thing. Oh God, I, I love that. I um, prefer you should just start telling that story, saying that you were you were six. You <laughs> just like six had, years old. had nothing in your room except like was, a big poster of Bob Dylan, probably doing like the the most cocaine he's ever done in his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just full full makeup eyeliner cocaine divorced um so i mean you know i I definitely am a a 1978 fan but um yeah i'd say that that it is it's all right on that record is not doesn't have the the power that it would get and and it's it's so counterintuitive because it's the most powerful like big air quotes version of it in terms of the actual sonic firepower it's it, this version that we have here um, just goes to show that no, like you just have to have a Dylan where he's like leaning into the words for for this song yeah. to work, and you get uh, actually a nice little crowd reaction where you're supposed to because, like, when he sings, you know, even the president of the United States must yeah. have to stand naked. The crowds always love that. Line. Yeah, they love that. They always love it, no matter who it the works president every, is. I mean, it works whenever, whenever you know, well, no matter who, who the president actually, is. Actually, the, la- the last t- president we had, uh, it didn't work that well. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> it's the it first like, time it didn't work. That. Yeah. And now, I haven't even thought about it now. <laughs> well, he hasn't played it yet in uh, in in uh, in in this bright new America. That yeah. We're he hasn't, I mean, he hasn't done that song in a while. Probably. I don't know when the last time it's all right. Ma showed up. Even the so. president of the United States must, must sometimes have to stand naked, Mac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. But yeah. I and mean, then, yeah, he goes, I mean, yeah, it's sort of like he's, he's doing, he's doing a full sixties thing. I mean, that's the thing like this set, even with all these weird surprises and deep cuts, it's like, also very crowd pleasing. I mean, it's got definitely nobody could be like, he didn't play like the songs that I, you know, like the Bob Dylan songs. He doesn't do like a Rolling Stone, but I mean, does, does a lot of these pretty iconic songs. Um, so. Yeah. He definitely seemed to be in sort of a, you know, I, I feel like at least in the, the Bob tour eras that, that we've, studied so far uh you can kind of sense a dichotomy between like bob is doing bob and just like trying to do whatever the fuck he wants and then bob is like trying to please the crowd a little bit and i think this this set and this whole tour really 
he was he was trending a little more towards the the please the crowd kind of thing. Not not in like a cloying kind of manner because obviously he was still having fun and doing a bunch of weird covers and and uh, working in in the summertime, for instance. But like you know, he was playing he was playing plenty of the hits, and you could you know in, in a pretty faithful kind of um, easy to digest manner, I would yeah. say for your average Bob Dylan fan who wants to show up to a show, drink a Budweiser for $11 and hear yeah. blown in the wind and tangled up in blue. And the times they are changing, yeah. which he plays, I guess Well, he doesn't play tangled up in blue in this. He plays simple Toast to fate, but he yeah. was playing tangled um, quite a bit on the tour at the same time. You know, th- there are plenty of big headline hits. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Again, it just feels like a very like, like well thought out set for any, yeah, any level of Bob Dylan fan, the person who right. wants him to just be a be a fucking crazy person or wants him to play the hits or somebody who wants to hear, you know, like, yeah, these weird, weird deep cuts. If um, dogs run free. He, played yeah, he played that a lot. This, like, I mean, a lot for that song, I would, I would say. <laughs> yeah, but he it, was it, he was playing that song on a in, in the early 2000s for whatever reason. I love I love this. If dogs run free, played nine times, and 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 a a roughly equivalent song for the number of song number of times that it was played as well, ten times. Uh, Desolation Row. Wow, <laughs> wow. I mean, it just goes to show. I mean, he's like he's like those are those are equivalent songs. Like those. Yeah. Wait, when when was when you, you mean during two thousand two during the two the two thousand two tours? Yes, yeah. Okay. I mean, well, uh, speaking of those big uh, marquee Dylan tracks, uh, you've yeah, got Times Are Changing, changing which uh, have you heard this? It's, <laughs> it's it's the next song. It's a big, big song for him. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a song that maybe, I mean, it never, I mean, it's certainly not not done poorly here or anything but it never does anything in particular for me yeah as a live version but it's a song that i feel like we all probably kind of take for granted oh Um, yeah no i mean i I think that we all understand that uh like someday some sad day we'll we'll really wish (laughs) we could just hear like a pretty decent but not spectacular version of this song which is yeah. like, you know, I don't know if I said this in my emails, but there's no uh, part of the part of my agreement to appear on the podcast is that we don't speak of uh, Bob Dylan's demise. I didn't say it. It will never happen. <laughs> That's against against my. He's going to keep it on the level yeah. well into the future. Yeah. Well, it is funny because That's I right. was I mean, not to speak of his demise, but I was thinking of I mean, just this era, but also. I was thinking about maybe the first time that I was like, like, whoa, like Bob Dylan could die. And it was like, I mean, it's so long ago now. It was 25 years ago. It was when he had that weird sort of heart problem. Yeah, you know, I found out recently out what that was caused by. And I had was no it caused I, by like frogs or something. So it, it was kind of <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so like all I knew, all that was known is uh, was basically that it was a infection of like the fibrous sack around the heart caused by um exposure to like a bacteria in bird droppings that like only (laughs) happens in swamps or something it was like swamp gas yeah uh, but what happened was uh actually like 
kind of funnier and weirder than like it, it was that he was riding his motorcycle through some swampland where there had been these dried bird droppings that blew in a cloud of dust that he inhaled and uh, just like, <sighs> then became sick with this rare disease of the heart. Um, so that's why that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that, that episode, it wasn't even like it was like some sort of ailment, you know, like, no, like, but oh, it's, he's, he's it's like, cool that he was on a motorcycle. <laughs> it's cool. Yes. But I mean, I do, I do remember that, that, that period and it being, you know, I mean, it didn't seem out of the question, certainly that like Bob Dylan could die at that point, because I mean, it was right. like, it was like right around this. I mean, like Jerry Garcia had just died. It was, it wasn't yeah. like rock stars weren't like sort of, you know, not long for this world. Um, but it was sort of the thing where you were like, holy shit, like that would, that would suck. So, I mean, it is, it is a weird thing. And I mean, you know, it is something where you feel like, like, okay, yeah, well, I mean, the last 25 years, it's like kind of a crazy, crazy gift that Bob Dylan has he's, given us. He's had a whole other career since yeah. then when people thought he was going to die initially. It's yeah. just the, the, the longevity just never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. It seems sort of ridiculous that, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's this whole, whole other body of work that, that we get to enjoy. Yeah. Um, and it could have been, you know, his final album could have been what, well, I guess it would have under been the red sky or but <laughs> under, yeah. Under the red sky would have been his final like album of originals. original album. Yeah. It yeah. would have been like, well, boy, that, okay. that, that would not have been, <laughs> been a high note to go out. on. Yeah. That'd be weird. I was just listening to this version of times that are changing, um, at, while we're, while we've been talking and it's a very good one. So, you know, if yeah, you, I mean, there's, if you there's work really, yourself I mean, into does, a mood. He does deliver it. He gives it to everybody. Um, Again, some feels. nice uh, mandolin um, soloing up in there, I think. It says it says here in the or YouTube notes that it's a sittern. A sittern, okay. Which a sittern. I'm not actually sure what that is. Some sort of stringed instrument. Yeah. I'm assuming. I can definitely <laughs> hear that there's strings, yeah. <laughs> being played um, but yeah it, it is a good version and i guess he's yeah uh, he he dedicates it to minnesota senator paul wellstone okay yeah i i oh. googled that he, i guess he di- he had just died in like a plane crash or something mm. right before this show had been played okay. i'm unfamiliar um, with with minnesota senator yeah. paul wellstone he seemed like he was a relatively yeah you know, i guess for 2002 relatively left kind of figure in the democratic sort of party like a howard yeah. dean i mean that's that's a pretty yeah this is a pretty unique thing for Bob Dylan to do too. I mean, he rarely like says anything, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, Partic- at this, yeah. At this period, it's like like him him calling out like anybody is notable, particularly an elected official. You know, Bob has Bob yeah. has always seemed so kind of like allergic have, yeah. to to like any sort of like actual tangible political kind of movement or thing. Ever since, obviously, the original kind of run of shit. Yeah. Yeah, it must just be. It weird. must have just been the Minnesota maybe connection. Maybe yeah, exactly. Some kind of some kind of connection with him. Maybe you met him. I don't know. But yeah. well, he, he uh, does like he does like Jimmy Carter. They're friends apparently. He likes Jimmy Carter. Oh yeah, he's in that Jimmy Carter documentary, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. All he says quoting, he doesn't say much. Leonard Skinner. But... <laughs> That's right. That, that does. Which happen. is a funny thing for him to do. Uh, <laughs> he's he's him. always full, he's full of surprises.
Bob is full of surprises, and the Joker men are too. Join us next time for the thrilling conclusion of our discussion of the legendary 2002 Kansas City show with Tyler Wilcox on Jokerman. Hey.